message today from the prophet Jeremiah from the 31st chapter, starting at the 31st verse. Days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. In the 12th chapter of John today, we have to back up to the 19th verse. John, don't worry, we're fine. Um, To really get the full effect of this. Now, understand what's happening in the 12th chapter. First of all, things are a little out of order because we get, before today's text, we get Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which is Palm Sunday for us, which will happen next week. But it comes before that in this text. Right before that, in the 11th chapter, we get Lazarus being raised from the dead. And if you recall, there were lots of people watching Lazarus be raised from the dead. And Jesus is growing and growing and growing in his popularity. And so in the 19th verse of the 12th chapter, we hear this. The Pharisees then said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after Jesus. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival, there were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, for it is this this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. 
now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The crowds answered him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in darkness, you do not know where you are going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you might become children of the light. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The whole world is following this Jesus, say the Pharisees to one another, and that makes Jesus dangerous, so dangerous that they'd have to get rid of him. The plotting and planning and scheming for Jesus' death is already well underway by now in the Gospel of John, and Jesus, like a grain of wheat, will fall into the ground and die only to rise and ascend to produce greater fruit. Indeed, Jesus is clear in John's gospel that without his death, the Holy Spirit will not come at all, nor will Jesus draw himself to us and to the Father in heaven. Now remember what we learned last week about Jesus' death on the cross as presented in John. John never, ever, never lets us just stop at Jesus' death. We always have to take death, resurrection, and ascension as one continuous motion in John's Gospel. This is how we read today that the Son of Man will be glorified. The seed falls to the ground and dies. Well, we know better. The seed doesn't really die. If it did, nothing would actually happen at all. There would be no change, no growth, no nothing. The seed falls in the ground and is transformed so a new and different and better life can happen. So through this death, resurrection, ascension, Jesus bears good fruit. And he's already giving just a taste, a nibble, a glimpse into what it might look like. All throughout John's gospel, Jesus has been saying to those he meets, Come and see, come and see, come and see the wondrous signs I can do in the name of God. Come and see the things you never thought you could. Come and see this man of God. Show you the real God who created the universe and that God's great love for you. Now Jesus tells his disciples and us about the greatest sign, the most glorious miracle, the most remarkable act of love ever committed in the history of the world for all our sakes. And if you're paying attention, you should be asking How do I know if it's for all our sakes? 
closely at this text, this 12th chapter of John. Something has bothered me about this text all week long, and it's the Greeks. What in heaven's name are the Greeks doing in this text? Jesus didn't attend to the Greeks. His life was spent with two kinds of people, Jews and Romans. Some loved him, some hated him, but none of them were Greeks. How did they get into this story? And what are we supposed to do with their intrusion here? Remember verse 19, I picked it up ahead. The whole world was coming to Jesus. Indeed they were. Enter those Greeks. The word world has at least three significant connotations in John's Gospel. First, as in another world, the world Jesus and his Father will reside reside in, like when Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. There is another kingdom, another world elsewhere. Second, the world is that which opposes Jesus, the one who loses their life in this world will find it again in eternal life. We must be transformed in this world to truly live the abundant life that John proclaims Jesus came to offer. And finally, the world, the cosmos in Greek, is not just the world that God created, but the world that Jesus came to save. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but find eternal life. The Greeks are in this text to show the Pharisees are right. Truly the whole world, the whole known world, is coming to Jesus, and the Greek represent all the known world in Jesus' day beside the Jews and the Romans to whom he has already testified. The Greeks not only shouldn't be here in this story, but they do a strange thing. They approach Philip and say, we want to see Jesus. Now, wanting to see Jesus is not the strange thing. As I said, Jesus throughout the Gospel of John says, come and see, come and see, come and see. They're just doing what Jesus has told them to do. They want to know what God's doing through this Jesus all throughout his ministry. What's strange about this is that the Greeks don't just go to Jesus directly. I couldn't figure out why until I realized the even stranger thing that Philip does. Philip doesn't go directly to Jesus either. 
Philip goes to Andrew. And why? Philip was one of the twelve, a friend of Jesus. Philip was called very early to join in Jesus' ministry. Surely he could have talked to Jesus himself, but he doesn't. He goes to Andrew. Here's what I think is happening. There are only two things we learn about Philip from this text. One, his name is Philip. And two, he's from Bethsaida in Galilee. None of those things should sound all that profound to you, but let me tell you what they mean. Philip is a Greek name. Hmm, Philip is a Greek name. And Bethsaida is in the northern part of Galilee where the people could very likely have been exposed to Greek speakers. I think, although this is pure speculation on my part, that Philip spoke Greek and he then goes to Andrew translating their words that they, the representatives of the known world, have come to see Jesus. (laughs) This week, a virtual women's conference called IF raised over... $1.5 million toward translating the Bible into a language that that has never had the good news before. This as a response to the statistic that nearly 1 billion people in this world, this world that God so loved, still have no access to scripture in a language they can understand. One billion people. Now, if you couple that with the fact that the average American household had 16 Bibles in it, that's a problematic statistic. And this group, this IF conference, chose Western Ethiopia as their first place to offer translations. Most of the people there are Christians, but they have only limited access to small portions of the Newer Testament and have never seen the scriptures of the Hebrew Bible. The other thing... The other thing this group has done is challenged each other to disciple two women each per year, making clear that if 4,000 women each discipled two women per year and those two women each discipled two more per year, the chain reaction, get this, would lead to 4 million Christians in a decade. Now, There are not 4,000 people in this room. You think social distancing is a problem now. Where do we get 4,000 people in here? But consider this. If 40 people from Vance Church discipled two people each per year, and those two people each discipled two more people a year over a decade. That's 4 
thousand Christians here at Vance. And over the second decade, it's four million Christians. Now, I'm not naive enough to think we're all going to run out and do that. We got away from something important when COVID hit. If you'll recall, I had asked each of you to ask to think about three people you would invite to come and see what Jesus is doing in our lives and the life of this congregation. Some of you had lists you were ready to ask, and then the bottom fell out. Life is eking its way back to normal, friends, and it is time. It is time for people to come and see what Jesus is doing. The Greeks needed someone to translate what Jesus was doing. Fortunately, they had Philip, but I will contend that all of us have had our own version of Philip at some point. If you have been in this church or a church your entire lifetime, somebody translated the message of Jesus for you. If you have been in this church for one day, somebody will or has translated the message of Jesus for you. Do you think that having come and see the glorious works of Jesus, that the Greeks just went home and twiddled their thumbs? No. No. The Greeks took that message and translated it for their own people. And that, my friends, is how the world that Jesus came to save knows him to this day. May we find in our servants' hearts the desire to translate into languages all people can understand. glorifying word of Jesus our Christ. Amen.